the law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, as we do week by week, we ask you to please join us here this morning. And we trust that you are a keeper of your promise and that you are here in our midst. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So we have this morning, for the second time in a month, what seems to be a tension in the pages of Scripture. A few weeks ago, if you'll recall, if you were here, we read another version of the story of John the Baptist coming out of the wilderness announcing the impending arrival of Jesus. Remember, happy Advent, you brood of vipers. We talked about how John thought Jesus was going to come and be a really hardcore lawgiver, separating the wheat from the chaff and throwing the chaff into the unquenchable fire. You remember that image, surely. The axe, says John, is lying at the root of the trees. And that's John the Baptist's vision of the coming Jesus, the the wielder of the great heavenly axe. Uh, He's like an even angrier version of the Santa Claus we tell kids about at Christmas. He's making a list and checking it twice. Going to find out who's naughty or nice. Jesus Christ is coming to town. Now, we know that Jesus Christ is not like Santa Claus. I believe I said that exact sentence on Christmas Eve, but that is what John the Baptist was expecting. Somebody coming who was going to separate the good from the bad, take care of the good, and get rid of the bad. He envisions a, um, like a Christmas horror movie. And you should look into it. There's a whole genre of evil Santa Claus movies. Um, and yes, of course, there are real films called both Santa Claus, C-L-A-W-S, And Satan Claus. These are both real movies. But this movie that John the Baptist is imagining is one where the evil Santa Claus is the good guy. And the victims are the sinners in the path of Jesus' axe that is laid at the root of the trees. Or if we really want to get into the horror movie spirit, we could give this Jesus a flamethrower. Because if you recall, that's the image, right? Wheat and chaff... And chaff into the unquenchable fire. So when Jesus actually comes and starts talking about redemption, instead of flamethrowers, John got confused. And remember, he actually sent people to Jesus to ask if he was really the Messiah or should they be waiting for someone else? He's thinking to himself, wait, is this the horror movie I was expecting or is this some kind of feel-good lifetime movie? Was Jesus really the one they were supposed to wait for? So there's this tension there between John and Jesus. John's expectation and who Jesus actually was. And this morning, I want to talk a little bit about the same tension that we find in another place and between two different people. We heard it, if you were paying attention, which I know you all were, in our reading from John's Gospel. This morning, John says that the law indeed was given through Moses. 
grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He's drawing a distinction here between Moses and Jesus. And also between the law on the one hand and grace and truth on the other. And this is the same tension that we saw between the flamethrower that John the Baptist thought Jesus was going to come wielding and the sacrificial love that Jesus actually came with. But more on that later. For now, I want to dig just a little bit deeper into this distinction between Jesus and Moses because you see it all over the New Testament. And I just want to share a couple of examples with you. First, I want to read to you just a couple verses from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, where he also talks about the law and Moses and the gospel and Jesus and how they are tense together. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. This is St. Paul speaking here. Now, he says, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns people is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison to the surpassing glory. So Paul is talking about two ministries. One, he says, that has to do with Moses, and one that he calls the ministry of the Spirit, which has to do with Jesus. Now, the one that has to do with Moses, which he calls written in letters on stone, you know what this is alluding to, right? The Ten Commandments. He says it came with glory, but that ultimately it condemns People. The new one, the ministry of the Spirit, of Jesus, he says, brings righteousness. So we have this parallel again between what John is saying in our reading this morning and what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians. Two ministries, one having to do with Moses and the law, and one having to do with Jesus and righteousness. John says, the law, indeed, was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Another quick example. Jesus himself, speaking on his Sermon on the Mount, goes through a whole series of what might be called contradictions. You have heard this, he says, but I say to you this. Or the law you're familiar with says this, but I'm going to tell you this. In other words, Moses told you this, but now I say to you this. For instance, you have heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Moses says, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus says, two cheeks for the price of one. Tension, again, between Moses and Jesus. So what are we to make of this? Is the Bible arguing with itself? 
Are John the Baptist and Jesus Christ having a theological disagreement? What about Jesus and Moses? Now, clearly, it has something to do with what's called the law, the rules of God, and grace and truth, which seem related to Jesus Christ. So does that mean that the real issue is between God and Jesus? That doesn't seem to make much sense. After all, Moses got the law from God, did he not? Now, our problem, I think one of the reasons this can seem so confusing at first glance, is that we are desperately trying to understand the Bible, and therefore God, as saying one thing. And that's because we naturally, and for simplicity's sake, want God to just be saying one thing so we can understand it. But the fact is, God isn't saying one thing to us. And God, in the Bible, in fact, is saying two things. And it's desperately hard to understand what God says to us in Scripture unless we can understand that God is, in fact, saying two things instead of one. Here's a Cliff's Notes version of how this works. They still have Cliff's Notes? Is that still a thing? Anyway, this is the Cliff's Notes version of how this works. God speaks to the world in two ways. He tells us what he wants from us, and he tells us what he is giving to us. He tells us what he wants from us. This is what John calls the law. And he tells us what he's giving to us. This is what John calls grace. So yes, of course, Moses got the stone tablets with the law written on them from God. And the law is glorious. It is God's holy word to his people showing them how to live their lives. And this is that first way that God speaks to the world, telling us how to live, telling us what he wants from us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Honor your father and mother. Don't steal, don't lie, don't murder. These are bedrock rules to live by. They are good. Remember, St. Paul says that the people of Israel could not even look at Moses's face. These laws were so glorious that their reflected glory on Moses actually hurt the eyes of the people. But, as Paul goes on to say, ultimately, these glorious laws bring condemnation. And this is our first big tension, right? These glorious laws, these good and true rules by which to live your life, given to us by God, in the end, bring condemnation. Remember John the Baptist's unquenchable fire. That's the condemnation we're talking about. Failure to live up to the holy, good, right and true law of God leads to the unquenchable fire. John the Baptist is thinking to himself, this is going to be great. Jesus is going to come and he's going to see who's following the holy law and who isn't. He's going to make a list and check it twice. He's going to see who's naughty and nice. But then, when Jesus actually got to town, he did something fascinating. 
Remember the examples from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you have heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Turn the other cheek. Jesus actually takes the law and makes it worse. He intensifies the demand. You might say as he's separating the wheat from the chaff, like John expected, he keeps making the standard higher and higher, making less and less wheat and more and more chaff, more and more food for the unquenchable fire, until he finally makes his ultimate standard saying, you must be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. This leaves no room for anyone to be wheat, turning everyone into chaff, making every single person fodder for that unquenchable fire. So you can imagine John the Baptist at this point is cackling, right? Jesus ready to turn his flamethrower onto the masses of chaff. But it's then that Jesus does his most profound work. He throws himself into the unquenchable fire. The theological statement that St. Paul makes is this. You see, at just the right time, just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, at just the right time, just when the chaff was about to be thrown into the unquenchable fire, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8. And it is a perfect example of the second way that God speaks to us, telling us what he has done for us. And this second way of speaking is God's final way of speaking. It is the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. And here's how this works. We have the laws. God's first way of speaking, the good and true rules that were given to us by God. Honor your father and mother. Love God. Love your neighbor. Feed the hungry. Clothe the naked. Visit the prisoner. Tend to the sick. And we, by our lives, violate every single one of these commandments. And when we try to trick ourselves into thinking that we're following them, Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm concerned about your heart. You heard, don't murder. What we meant was, don't be angry. You heard, don't sleep around. What we meant was, keep your thoughts pure. You heard, don't overreact, an eye for an eye. What we meant was, do not resist. And you see where this is going. You heard, be good. What we meant was, be perfect. So when Jesus comes to separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the chaff, 
Don't think that you're wheat. And pride, by the way, is one of the sins. So the surest way to think that you're, to make yourself chaff is to think that you're wheat, right? To think that you're good means you're in trouble. This is the surest way. But remember that while the law came through Moses, that wasn't the end of the story. The law was intensified, yes, but then satisfied by Jesus Christ. Now, it's perfectly true, an unquenchable fire must be fed, but Jesus feeds it with his own body offered in our places. Moses got the law from God, and we've forgotten its purpose. We imagine that it's supposed to give us a way to get to God, to mark out a path for us to achieve our salvation. But we need to remember the good news of great joy, which will be to all people, is that all along, God was coming to us. The law, God's first way of speaking, was to show us how much we needed him to come. And when he got here at Christmas, in the form of Jesus Christ, what he did for us was die. Throwing himself into the unquenchable fire on our behalf, in our place, so that we could live together with him forever. This is God's second and final way of speaking. It is the good news, the gospel, which shall be to all people. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And now... In him, you have life forever. Amen.